This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. of Total Saints Podcast, with a weekly pod that truly goes to the heart of all things Saints FC, thanks to the underpinning support of our global patrons. Inspired by hearing Trevor on TSP 145 last week, Shane Butt, originally from the Isle of Wight, but now living in Tallinn, Estonia with his partner, became our latest TSP patron via patreon.com slash Total Saints Podcast. Shane, as we always like to do with our new patrons, a big shout out and thank you to you for your support. Just briefly, if you're another Saints fan listening to this who lives out in Estonia, then please do drop us a line, totalsaintspodcast at yahoo.com, as Shane is keen to find out if there are any others based out there who we can hook up with. While we're on the subject of TSP patrons, our January TSP VIP event will take place this coming Thursday, the 28th of January at 8pm UK time. I've sent the joining details out to all our active patrons, so hopefully you'll be able to catch up with us for a chat about Saints and life in general. If any of you do need the info on that VIP event sent across again, then please just let me know. The three other quarters of TSP will also be there, and they're also here now. It's Steve, Glenn and Dan. Evening, guys. Evening. 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 Let's start by reflecting on a recent celebration then, thanks to some uh, humongous, ill-placed happy birthday banners then, Dan. It was uh, your 26th birthday, uh, I believe, on Thursday. Is that just right? Yep, 26 years young, and those banners have been a, a point of contention in the Sheldon household ever since, I can assure you. <laughs> yeah, just just tell everyone briefly the story then, if, in case they don't know, how, how we all found out about your birthday. Well, I think we have to go back to the beginning, actually, the beginning of the day. So I've come down into the where I work, because the, the story needs to be told, right, I need yeah. to set the record straight. Yeah. So I come down to work at around 8am 8, 8 in, in my where I work in the study, and there's no banners in sight. There's banners around the house, but none in the study. So I thought, oh, that's good. Then anyway, I, I finish what I'm doing, go away, shut the door, forget about it until Ralph's presser at half one or two o'clock, whenever it was. 
come in, sit down, pay no attention to the walls or anything like that. As soon as I get put through to Ralph on Zoom, <laughs> I can then see behind me. And for the first time, I've spotted the banners. And at that time, it's also too late because Ben is kind of mid-question. So if I start getting up, walking around, pulling banners off the wall, I mean, I'm sure people can start looking, thinking, what is he doing? <laughs> so my first port of call was to, well, maybe if I close the laptop screen a little bit, it will kind of shut them out. But because they were so well-placed on the back and the side, I just couldn't, I couldn't get rid of them. So I just had to sit there and hope that no one would spot them. But then obviously an eagle-eyed Jordan did spot them and was more than happy to point them out. Yeah. Um, and then Ralph put his, his spectacles on and also spotted them so yes and then when i finished the press conference my first port of call was to go and speak to my girlfriend and ask her <laughs> why not did you do that and she found it um very funny for some reason but yeah there we go that that's that's, that's the story behind that one yeah, well i i, I think it they'll get on her and uh, yeah obviously it was nice to get a happy birthday from ralph dan i mean that'll be one you'll treasure forever for 26 won't it yeah i'm gonna be writing 3,000 words on that this week so <laughs> oh, good stuff and look, i know christmas has just gone but what was the the best or most useful present you got then Apart from that, obviously. For for Christmas? No, for your birthday. Oh, for my birthday. Sorry. Do you know? Oh, here we go. Here's another cracking story. This is a good. <laughs> no, this is a good one, right? So, me and my girlfriend uh, are moving. We're going to be moving house, and I wanted. It sounds incredibly old and boring, but I wanted a slow cooker for my birthday. Now, yeah, I'm sure people are going to be thinking, "What the hell?" Yeah, we are judging you straight I mean, away. I, yeah. I knew. I knew she'd bought it. But for some reason, I'd completely forgotten she'd bought it. So I get this like big box. Something um, I say to her, you've not bought me a PlayStation 5, have you? <laughs> and she started laughing and she was like, no. And then in the back of my head, I'm thinking, oh, she's bought me a PlayStation 5. How do I react when I open it? And then I opened it and it was a slow cooker. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that 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 was kind of... Um... That's probably the the, the most u- the most useful present will be the slow cooker. I'm, I'll have to say that one. Have you used it yet? No, it's still in this box. All oh, right, fair enough. So uh, there we go. And uh, just briefly, where are you moving to? Uh, I'll be moving to Whiteley. Whiteley. What postcode is that, Dan? That's still a PO postcode. Oh, yeah, far enough, then. I believe it's. It's where my mum uh, and dad live. But it, but it is the bor- it is the borough of Eastleigh. Right. Okay. So. So. Yeah, a bit better then. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing confuses me because for some reason I fall under the Winchester County Council, um, Winchester City Council, and I'm so far away from Winchester I do not understand, but Mm. it's just very strange. But yeah, I think my postcode is PO15 maybe, I'm not sure. All right, well, you get a little closer to an SO postcode, but there we (laughs) go. All right, good. And Glenn, you were a little down as uh, I think you uh, mentioned in your tweet that Dan's officially half your age, is that right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I had to to work that out. My maths is not my strong point anymore. Used to be when I was younger, but yeah, yeah, Dan is 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 actually half my age. So uh, yeah, so if we keep doing this for a couple more years, that won't be the case anymore, obviously. But uh, (laughs) but yeah, it was it was a bit you know it's always depressing when you see people going twenty six or twenty seven. Oh my God, feel so old. Piss off. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I was going to say if it's any consolation, then I I was working this out. I am closer to you in age than I am Dan. So I'm sure that's consolation of some sort. Oh, but, that's uh, good. There you go. But uh, yeah, actually, nice. it's a uh, um, true story because I was playing Lego with uh, my son Oliver during the week. He's seven now, and uh, he he just said to me randomly, he said, uh, "Daddy, what year were you born again?" And uh, I, I sort of said 1981, and then there was this pause, and he said, uh, "How long before that was the war then?" And I was like, "Oh, brilliant! What a magical parent uh, parent moment that was." But yeah, it's uh, I, I'd certainly been feeling that my age this week as well. But uh, there we go. But Steve, all good with you? No birthday celebrations or uh, any sort of uh, age issues? or anything your end of the line no uh very quiet week for me yeah just a uh, quite a chill chilled uh chilled weekend in front of the tv which i mean i suppose that's not actually that much that much of a change from any other time in the last what nine months but no it's been 
been interesting. Been been a good good weekend of, uh, of football actually. The, like even even the the TV pick games weren't weren't dull and horrendous. Like having got through to half past seven on a Sunday night, I don't feel kind of bored of having watched football all weekend, which does make a pleasant surprise. I've got to say, there's been some good action, hasn't there? It's been quite exciting. Yeah. You know, the FA Cup's got a bit of, uh, and obviously we're going to talk about it in a minute. It's got a bit of its uh, pride back maybe this weekend, hasn't it? So uh... yeah, I mean, I think I think the draws helped, and also the fact that the the kind of big ticket game um, this evening was was actually entertaining for the first time in years, which I'm sure there's some sort of karma effect going on here with Sky obviously bigging up every single United Liverpool game for, <laughs> week, for weeks in advance, yeah. only for it to come crashing down when the game is inevitably terrible. <laughs> Whereas the BBC obviously haven't haven't been able to fill their airwaves for, for two to three weeks in advance. Mm. And they get a brilliant game. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there, there's a lesson there for, for everyone that's Sky Sports, I think. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, well, obviously, uh, it was good to see Saints win. Uh, I should give a quick shout-out to Livingston, my local side, because they've just made the Betfred Cup up here today. And, uh, of course, uh, unlucky to Jack Watmore on uh, not getting his hat-trick this weekend. But uh, there we go. <laughs> anyway, let's rattle through the agenda for this pod um, so you can decide where you want to dip in and out before we get on with it. Um, first up, we'll reflect on that Saints FA Cup win over Arsenal, all achieved despite the absence of Oriol Romario. Given we're playing them again tomorrow, depending on when you're listening to this, of course, we'll wrap a Premier League preview into that FA Cup wash-up as well. We'll also be discussing news this week of Hummel becoming Saints' new kit partner from 2021-22 onwards, replacing Under Armour, a love affair reignited after 30 years. And speaking of partnerships, that hasn't been the only announcement by Saints this week, as Ghanaian Premier League side Asante Kotoko have joined the club's international football partnership programme as well. So if you're listening to this podcast down in Ghana... Thank you and welcome to the Saints family, guys. Lastly, after yet another week that has seen a lot written and said about it, we'll get Dan's take on the Danny Ings contract saga as it's starting to become publicly anyway. OK, let's get on with it. Underpinned by Total Saints Global Patrons, this is TSP 146. <laughs> This is the Total Saints Podcast with Ben Stanfield, Steve Grant, Glenn Dillacore and the Athletics' Dan Sheldon. Saints completed a successful week of FA Cup action by beating current holders Arsenal by a goal to nil on Saturday. It now sees them through to play Wolves in a couple of weeks' time. It followed up Tuesday's third round rearranged win over Shrewsbury. Steve, all in all, a solid week's work, two wins, two clean sheets, and along the way, some pleasing and encouraging performances by several members of the academy. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, Tuesday was was good. I think it was understandably disjointed in patches, I think, given that you had kind of a, a mishmash of academy players and couple of sort of a handful of senior senior pros thrown into the mix and you kind of worried beforehand how's this how's this going to go how is Shrewsbury going to play it and it was it was odd I think because I think the lineup we put out you would have thought that a league one side would think oh quite fancy this and yet Shrewsbury barely got out their half for them for most of the game it was it was a little bit strange they kind of played so passive and it, it made it made it quite comfortable for us in the end a couple of standout players I thought and Lundaloo held sort of led the line quite well I think long alongside him was was poor unfortunately and that was it was a it was a opportunity for him to kind of stake stake a claim for getting a few more minutes in the first team and didn't really take it unfortunately and 
Um, that was disappointing. Although, I mean, as we'll as we'll come on to it, he was better in his cameo on on Saturday. But yeah, obviously Caleb Watts was um, looked quite decent on the wing. Few few good little um, little touches, and there was there was one um, little Cruyff turn that was very sort of Adam Lallana esque. Um, where he sort of wriggled away from two or three opponents with with one sort of drop of the shoulder, which which was quite smart. Did he get injured he was... while he was doing? It? <laughs> well, yeah, he hobbled off after an hour with a hamstring injury. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, other than that, Yankovic looked looked good when he came on. I'd, I'd have liked to have seen seen a little bit more of him actually. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we we got through. Um, I don't think anybody picked up any injuries, no suspensions, obviously, and. Yeah, we we got got ourselves in in the game for for Saturday, and I mean you couldn't really ask for ask for much more in what were pretty miserable conditions, really. Mm, yeah, no, agreed. And uh, obviously Kegsy playing as well. And uh, yeah, Dan uh, Alex Jankovic was your pick to watch for 2021, wasn't he? He was. He was. Um, he's one of those players you you always hear really good things about. I remember. I think we may have touched on it on this pod before, where the club made a bit of a song and dance about signing him, and I don't think. He's overly disappointed since he's come into the academy. I mean, I'm, I agree with Steve. I'd have liked to have seen him get a bit more game time. I, he's one of those players that, because I've heard so much about him behind the scenes, you just you just want to see play and get given a run. But I think the, 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 the youngsters that did play all did really well to a man, to be honest. I thought Vokins was good. I thought Valerie looked good. And there were a couple of iffy moments that you're always going to get with Valerie in defence, but he was still good. And the two wingers, um, Chalk and Watts, I mean, I thought they were they were both brilliant and they were both playing out of position. Their normal position is where Diallo and Prousey were playing. So for them to, to play where they were and still make an impact, I think, bodes well for the future and probably says a lot about maybe their talent or the potential they've got. Yeah, just briefly before I get you to talk about the Arsenal game, Dan, uh, it's a shame after the big build-up that Sean Wally froze on the big scene. Well, come on, give the guy a break, Ben. It, it's been a, it's been a tough tough month for for Shrewsbury. They've not played. They're up against the Premier League side. He was always going to struggle. The conditions were against him. Put it that way. He looked. He he just didn't get the service he needed. <laughs> give him the ball, and yeah. he would have scored a hat trick. Yeah. Southampton sure. just Southampton contained him. They contained him. Um, yeah, he was their best. He was their best player. Yeah, he fair. was. He had a couple of chances, yeah. didn't he? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm sure Ralph was working on it all week. How do we stop Sean Wally? And they they delivered a master. Class, so <laughs> that's all I can say. Uh, no, fair enough. Uh, look, moving on to the Arsenal game then, Dan. As ever, when you face the, the big six in inverted commas, it's normally uh, more about them losing and uh, selection and all that sort of thing than it is, quote, the, the lesser side winning. But over the course of the 90 minutes, despite several changes by the Gunners and, of course, no Obama Yang to worry about, Saints were worthy winners, weren't they? Absolutely. And I liked Ralph's team selection. I thought it was brave, bold. It was good. It was good to see him go, go with that starting 11 because that, to me, straight away said, right, we want two things to happen today. Number one, we go into the fifth round. And number two, we land a blow on Arsenal ahead of the league game. Uh, regardless of the changes Arsenal made, I still, up until kind of the hour mark, maybe where Southampton did start dropping a, a, a bit deeper. Uh, and Ralph mentioned that after the game, that he wasn't entirely satisfied with how they performed in the first half. But in the second half, sorry. But in the first half, I thought Southampton were very good. They, they looked good. They were energetic. I thought Stuart Armstrong, again, was really good going forward he creates the first goal in my opinion Kyle Walker-Peters again what more can you say about him this season he's been fantastic to a man I thought they were all very good in the in the first half the second half Arsenal came on they obviously made a few changes and brought on a, some more experienced players but 
there wasn't really a stage of the game where I thought Southampton are on the ropes here. And I think that says a lot about where the two teams are at the moment, maybe. You'd still expect Arsenal's sort of second second team with a few decent players in it to put up more of a fight than they did. But they didn't, so Ralph's gamble paid off. And going into the Premier League game, I think the template's there. That's how you beat Arsenal. The players that have just beaten them will be full of confidence going into that now, which I think is crucial. So let's hope they can kind of replicate that uh, on Tuesday. Of course, there'll be Arsenal, I'm sure, will have Arteta will call some players back, but there's no reason why Southampton can't do it again. They played them twice this season. Don't think they've been outplayed either time. We've all mentioned that game at the Emirates where we thought we were quite disappointed that Southampton didn't win. So, yeah, I'm actually optimistic ahead of Tuesday. And, yeah, the FA Cup game, it was a professional performance, another clean sheet. Move on to the next one. That's 10 clean sheets for the season in all competitions. And I think a tremendous amount of credit has to go to, obviously, Andrew Sparks, the goalkeeper coach, who Ralph keeps on mentioning after the games. And I think credit has to go to Fraser Forster as well. I mean, I still don't think his distribution is absolutely facet like brilliant, but he made a good stop in the second half. I think it was Enketia where he tipped his sort of toe poke shot around the around the post with the you know his toe basically, and that was a, a great stop. And yeah, there were so many positives to take. I thought it was a, a good afternoon. It was the first time since beating Spurs in 1901-02 that Saints had knocked out the holders of the FA Cup. That season, in fact, Saints reached the final, eventually losing to Sheffield United. Now, I know what you're thinking, and no, of course I'm not going to make any unkind link between that match and Glenn's age. But Glenn, who impressed you most from the Saints team yesterday? Because uh, as Dan said there, I personally thought everyone had a solid game, particularly the back five, Diallo and JWP. Um, don't ruin it with Cedric yet, because we're going to get on to him in a bit. <laughs> I thought Jan Bednarek had an excellent game. He He's... He's he's one of those that's he's kind of been steady this season, but he, he has made a couple of mistakes. But I, I thought he was back to his best yesterday. He seemed to be uh, very solid throughout, and you know just didn't didn't look like he was going to be passed at all. I thought I thought he played very well. Diallo in midfield was excellent again. They're starting to highlight it now the the speed at which he gets about the park. I mean I thought Pepe was supposed to be a bit of a flyer, but when that. That one at the start of the second half where Diallo ran him off the ball, basically. Having Gave sprinted. him a 10-yard start, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, I mean, it was just, it's just just excellent midfield play. So, yeah, I think I, I think those two those two were the, were the standouts. Mm. And just briefly again, so I was going to say, just on Diallo, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously we, we had a deal agreed with Weston McKenney in the summer before Juventus nipped in there. Of course, then we were going to move for Songery. Um, he obviously went to PSV because of the issues around getting a work permit. So... I know we've spoken about this before, but it does just reiterate the fantastic recruitment work by the club because, you know, he was in inverted commas third choice, but he looks an absolutely brilliant, you know, diamond in the rough almost. Yeah, but I mean, people can be third choice for all sorts of reasons. They they can be th- they can be third choice because you don't think they're as good as the other two, or they can be third choice because their club is more difficult to deal with or or anything like that. But whether it's by accident or by design, we seem to have ended up with a really, really promising player who who seem, seems to have everything. Um, he seems to be able to to play in that deep line number six role, as Ralph calls it. But he can also be. He looks like he can also be that box to box midfielder as well. If you know, if 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 he's partnered with Romeo, you could see him being the one who who, who goes forward. Not that I think. James Ward-Prowse is going to get dropped anytime soon. But yeah, he seems to, he seems to be a good all-round player. It was interesting to notice um, Ralph mentioned that he thinks he can play in other positions. So whether he's whether he's got him, you know, pegged to play as an emergency fullback or or as a winger, I don't know. But uh, but yeah, there's gonna there's gonna be a question because because he's playing so well. 
when Romeo comes back, obviously only one of them's going to play in that central midfield role. So, uh, so what happens? I mean, I mean, I, I just think it, it's a really good thing with him that it means we don't have to rush Romeo back. R- Romeo can can have as many weeks as he needs to be 100% fit before he before he comes back because. You know, without Diallo, we'd have been we'd have been shoving Romeo back when on one leg, basically, wouldn't we? So, uh, so yeah, it, he's he's been a a very big plus so far and this just, season. And just briefly, I feel like we need to get this on record. Uh, having given him a bit of bash in the last few weeks before we even started this pod, and I saw you tweeting about it as well. Even Shane Long did all right when he came on, Glenn. Yeah, he did. I mean, he did what you're supposed to do when you come on as a striker, which is. You know, he's only got five minutes or whatever it was. You, you've got, you're supposed to come on and add energy and be a pest and, you know, just try and make something happen. And he did that. I, I thought it was a penalty. Yeah, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, it certainly it, wasn't a corner. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it looked like, it looked like he threw himself a bit, which he undoubtedly did. But then when you see it, there's clear contact holding is nowhere near the ball. And you think, why on earth hasn't that been given? Did I just, and I come away thinking I must have imagined it. Or something, because there didn't seem to be a VAR review, and but uh, yeah, anyway, doesn't matter. We won, but uh, but also he was he was um, doing a bit of uh, shall we say housing in the corner, um, sort of grabbing players, stopping them, taking a free kick, kicking the ball away, all that sort of stuff. And uh, yeah, I thought that was that, that's the sort of stuff that he's he he's not been his usual pest self when he's played this season. There, there's definitely been something missing, and so whether it was because he got. 60 or 70 minutes against Shrewsbury and he just felt more more up for it sort of thing. He he did better when he came on and and that's that's his role now. He, you know, he's not going to be a starting striker for us and when he gets these little 15 20 5 minute chances, he's 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 got to do something. It's not it's not good enough just to you know, occupy a, a space on the pitch and not do anything. And um, yesterday he was uh, he was more back to his old self. Indeed. Well, as Jamie Pragnall, one of our TSP patrons, mentioned to me yesterday, in the same month we've now beaten the reigning Premier League champions and the FA Cup holders 1-0 at home. A nice stat. Uh, Steve, Ralph said he would take the FA Cup seriously. As Dan mentioned with the lineup, he certainly did. Where do you stand on the Premier League versus FA Cup campaign? Because it's nice to have a, a go at both, isn't it? I think Ralph said before the game, you know, he was asked about whether fans would prefer a cup run or Premier League. You know, he pretty much answered it by saying he'd like to win both games this week. Yeah, I mean, I think the the why not both question is... I mean, the answer is it's fairly obvious. It's yeah. Why? Why not? I mean, we're not in a we're not in a relegation battle. Um, we're not in a situation where we are fighting for the title and therefore need to make sure that we're focused on one particular thing. There's it's not a case of picking and choosing. We can fight on multiple fronts. I mean, we we don't have a deep squad. We 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 obviously accept that. But I think you play you. I mean, as, as Glenn said in, in his report on, on uh, League One minus 10, was you, you, play, you play the game that you're playing today and you pick, you pick a team that's, that's going to win you that game. Because, uh, I mean, as, as we'll prob- probably discuss, if, if we go and beat Arsenal again on Tuesday night, Mikel Arteta looks an absolute mug for making, what, seven, change, seven eight changes for, for the FA Cup game. Um, a competition that they obviously do well in as a club, and they've tossed it away. I mean, you look at the you look at the draw, and obviously the way the the way that the condensed schedule this year particularly has meant that they've obviously done two draws in one. So we already know most of the forward path at this point. Man United played Liverpool today, so one of those two were always going to be eliminated. In the next round, we've got Wolves, who 
I mean, they struggled to beat a National League North side on Friday night. They were absolutely appalling, and they were they were very lucky to win that game. So going to Molyneux should should fill us with absolutely no fear at all at the moment. Everton, if they beat Sheffield Wednesday tonight, will probably play Spurs. So that's another another of the potential contenders out out of the way. So yeah, I mean, there's there's the draw is kind of opening up a little bit, and it's going to, it's possibly going to be one of those years like when we got to the, when we got to the final in 2003 basically all the big teams kept playing each other round after round after round and so there was always going to be one one of them being knocked out each time and eventually the draw opens up for for um for a team like us and there's absolutely no reason why that why that won't happen for us this year i mean if we can if we can get some players back fit so we've got a little bit of depth so we've got a few options um obviously that would be great but the eleven, the eleven we put out on on Saturday was was absolutely fine. It's a good team at the moment. There's there's a plan, and everybody know everybody knows their role. And it's it's very clear when you come up against teams who don't have a plan. And Arsenal were basically that team uh, on Saturday. They they looked very weirdly disjointed. I mean, obviously the the personnel is is different from their regular first first eleven, but. Because they're in the Europa League, they're playing these players all the time anyway. So it's not as if it's not as if any of the players that played yesterday were rusty. It's that the manager isn't putting a clear clear plan and and sort of tactical setup out there. And it was it was obvious which team was well coached and which team wasn't. Yeah, agreed. Well, good omen, of course, is that uh, the 2003 FA Cup we obviously lost to Arsenal in the final, but we did beat Wolves along the way to, to get there, didn't we? So uh, maybe uh, having played Wolves and Arsenal, we're going to get there again this season. But uh, Dan, I mean, obviously yesterday kicked off a run of five games in 15 days for for Saints. That'll now become six in about 18 or 19, depending on what happens with the uh, fifth round scheduling at Wolves. But you know, it does obviously put some pressure on an, an already fragile squad. You know, Ralph mentioned after the game that some players are starting to come back and. We, you know, hope that the likes of Romeo Vestergaard, Redmond, etc., won't be too far away. But as you kind of said earlier, Dan, winning breeds confidence, doesn't it? You know, they're now going to go into Tuesday night's game, which we'll come on to a moment. You know, with their tails up, having uh, won two games in a week. Yeah, they should do absolutely. And I think because that the starting eleven on Saturday, I, I can't minus McCarthy, I can't see that changing. That's as with injuries aside, that is kind of Southampton's strongest team. Uh, the only player that maybe, well, that definitely gets in it is Vestergaard if he's fit, which he's not. So I don't, I can't see why anyone in that team will be low on confidence. You've got the defensive unit that are keeping clean sheet after clean sheet after clean sheet. The attacking department, as we've kind of touched on before, aren't firing in a way that they were. That I still think is an element, is an element of concern just because the, the goals have massively tailed off. Um, but now Ings is back and he he's fully fit. Hopefully, he can you know add to that and they've got that extra outlet. Someone like Armstrong can look for Ings more often, or Walcott can perhaps get involved a bit more. We saw him miss a, a decent opportunity against Arsenal where he possibly could have taken a touch, but went for the speculative one in the top corner. But I'm probably being a bit harsh there. So there there should be confidence all, all throughout the pitch. I'd, I'm sure the strikers would be more confident if they were scoring a lot more goals, but at the end of the day, they're still winning games. And if you get three points, if you win one nil, so 
didn't Arsenal used to win leagues winning one nil exactly. every other week? I'm not saying that's something they're going to win the league, but you know that that that's kind of the the thinking, I suppose. Well, ahead of the Arsenal FA Cup game, I asked Ralph about his thoughts on a busy couple of weeks ahead and whether it was important to keep the squad fitness managed appropriately over that period, or the old cliche about just taking each game as it comes. Here's what he had to say. Yeah, it's the only choice you have, huh? taking the games how it come, how they're coming. And um, in general, we like to have more games, uh, especially when we are in a good shape, uh, know what we do, uh, have good automatism, then it's um, not a problem. Physically, we are normally a, good, a strong side. Uh, we, we, you know that we have a very intense way of playing football, maybe one of the most intense in the Premier League from all teams with uh, the running stats and the sprinting stats. And I think this uh, sometimes people think you cannot do this for such an intense time. But I, when I remember in the past, this were most of the time the most successful t- uh, terms we had when we had a lot of games in a row coming up so we are prepared for this although we have not every player on board but um, they're coming back hopefully over the next uh, two or three weeks and more and more uh, options then for me available Glenn I also wanted to make sure um, we mentioned Fraser Forster earlier and sort of Jack Stevens as well just giving them both a mention for Forster that's now three clean sheets in three and you know admittedly uh, Shrewsbury was one of them but Liverpool and Arsenal were the other two and uh, of course Jack Stevens as well as Dan mentioned uh, just before Ralph was talking there Yannick Vestergaard's been out he's had to step into the side you know we know that uh, Jack Stevens is uh, one of those sort of Marmite players with uh, fans but that's five clean sheets and six for him so both of them from a point of view of playing for Saints you know do a lot for their confidence um absolutely yeah Jack Stevens has for me he's always been the sort of player similar to Maya Yoshida in that he's capable of two or three good games in a row and then he has an absolutely honking one like he did up at Leicester in the league where it's it just it's just bad and and that's but now he's he's you know the last couple of games he's back to looking solid again to move on to the next level he needs to be able to string together 10 15 20 games where where he's solid but you can't you can't fault his commitment you can't fault his effort and yeah we have been keeping a load of clean sheets and uh, you know Fraser's played three games now and it, it's not so much the fact he hasn't let in any goals because he's only faced about three shots across those three games um, and none of them, I, I mean, he has, he's made a couple of saves sort of with his feet, but there hasn't been any sort of full stretch stuff where you, you're thinking, and Christ, how, how the hell has he got to that? It's, it's all been pretty routine. And that is obviously down to the, uh, down to the players in front of him. But the, the most impressive thing for me, and this comes down to the goalkeeper coach that Ralph mentions, is the fact that, you know, on the, on the telly, when you're watching games on TV rather than live, you, 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 you lose the per- peripheral vision a bit. So you don't really see everything that's going on. And there was a there was a back pass from someone in one game where I I just naturally thought, oh, my God, that's not going to reach because I'm still expecting Fraser to be nailed to the goal line. And he and he's not. He's right on the edge of the box. I mean, there, there was one one bit on the in the Arsenal game where he nearly carried the ball outside the penalty area on the, the left hand side of the penalty area he ended up out there. And, you know, that's obviously something that they've just worked on on the training ground. And, you know, in the same way that Ralph has said that Walcott's learning new things at 31, Fraser's that age. And, you know, he's obviously been a goalkeeper for a long, long time. And he, he's always been a goal line type of goalkeeper. And, and now he's, he's doing different things all of a sudden. And, and just, just the fact that he's managed to sort of like undo some of the old bad habits um, is, is, is great. It's great for him and his, and his future, be that with us or, um, or with someone else. But you, you certainly don't worry about him. Well, I personally don't worry about him being in goal now. 
Whereas there was a stage before when his when his confidence went, where you just you, ju- you were just waiting for the next the next calamity. So um, yeah, I think he's he, he's definitely needed the sort of like the the break from Premier League football and going up to Scotland. Obviously, obviously helped keeping goal in a team that won the um, won the championship sort of thing. And he, and he's come back and he's now obviously learning from this uh, new goalkeeper coach. It does. Does um does raise question marks about the previous goalkeeping coach, but um, we won't we won't go there. <laughs> on a, on a positive, our set pieces are a lot better now, aren't they? But uh, yeah, um, as, as several mentioned to me yesterday, then including Mark in Manchester, Glenn, we obviously can't overlook the returning Cedric in this pod. Uh, I'm, I'm nervous about tempting fate too much, bearing in mind he's playing Tuesday night and this pod's coming out Monday, so or he could be playing Tuesday night. But he's not going to play Tuesday. Well, you never sure. know, do you? But I mean, he was he played against uh, um, what was it Newcastle last week, didn't he? So you never quite know, do you? But uh, those that haven't read your latest uh, entry on League One minus ten, then Glenn, what did you make of his efforts? Some typical uh, phenomenal crossing and uh, expert throw-ins. He was exactly how you wanted him to be. But bearing in mind how he used to play for us, he he was exactly that. When he when he hit those two crosses thirty yards over the person at the back post, that was that was a special moment. But the the pierce de resistance was the foul throw, which which is just it's just stunning that you know to to see that and it's not under twelves playing on a park. Is quite something, though. Though weirdly, Arsenal have had a problem with that this year. Apparently, I read somewhere today they've done loads as well. Yeah, they've seven foul throws this year. That was before yesterday. So I don't quite know what's going on there. But no, he, he was rubbish. His, his, his defending was kind of wishy-washy as normal. You know, he, he doesn't really get close to people. He doesn't stop crosses coming in. It's, it's exactly the reason why he got on my nerves so much when he when he played for us. He had the old good game for us, but as a rule, his defending was awful. Um, and on, on Walker Peters got, you know, I oh know, sorry, it's no goal, but on the on the on the goal, the cross sort of goes straight through his legs. He stood too far away from Walker Peters. He's not going to block it. He just doesn't seem to be. He doesn't seem to be switched on defensively. And as, and as for this myth about his crossing up the other end, well. You know, we all, we all know about that. So he was um, he was diabolically poor. I, I suppose it depends on if Kieran Tierney's back on the Tuesday, whether he'll play or not, or Maitland-Niles, or I, I don't even know if Maitland-Niles is available. But well, uh, they, could put, they could put Saka there. Yeah. Saka played yeah. there in the in the league game at the Emirates, didn't he? And yes, yeah. he was yeah. he was dangerous from there. I think we'd all be surprised to see him, wouldn't we? But uh, yeah, even a free transfer feels like we may have charged uh, Arsenal a little bit. But uh, there we go. Um, Steve, looking ahead to that game on Tuesday night, then how do you think the FA Cup game and the lineups and the result, and as you said earlier, the sort of pressure on Arteta maybe sets up that Premier League clash? Yeah, I mean, they're obviously going to make loads of changes again. They'll they'll revert back to their full strength uh, lineup, well, as far, as far as it can go anyway, because I think Aubameyang's likely to, to be missing again um, with whatever personal issue he's got going on. And yeah, I mean they're they're obviously going to pose a, a greater threat from the start, I think, um, in this game. So it's so it's obviously important that we kind of make a make a similar start to the one we did uh, yesterday because we need to need to make sure we're on we're on we're the ones on the front foot from the beginning because obviously as we saw second half yesterday, I mean while you kind of never really felt that Arsenal were kind of banging on the door, it was kind of a more pol- more a sort of polite knock and. Um, see what happens to kind of attack from them our team kind of feels at the moment that if we don't start well in the game we're going to struggle to kind of wrestle our wrestle control back of back into it late later down the line and so I think if we if we can get ourselves a good start then again no reason why we can't can't get a result from from this game and I suppose uh, one downside Dan is obviously the uh, absence of Ryan Bertrand through suspension so 
what would you do to reshuffle? Do you think Jan Valery comes in and plays somewhere and they shift KWP across maybe? Or do you think you'd be looking to do something else? I'd leave KWP where he is and just so play I. Jake Vokens. Yeah. That, that's what I'd do if I was Ralph. I don't see why you'd want to change anything in terms of dragging defenders out of position. You've got a left back. You want to sign another fullback to provide cover. Well, maybe this is a good opportunity for Jake Vokens to lay a claim and say, well, actually, maybe you don't need another fullback because I can fill in for Bertrand. I thought he was good against Shrewsbury. So, yeah, I, I personally would just, just, just go for him. I wouldn't change anything in terms of defence other than bring Jake in. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And just finding in Glenn, I mean, obviously Arsenal hadn't conceded a goal before yesterday. Um, they're still unbeaten in five Premier League games. But from a Saints point of view, you, you know, we know they're going to be tougher, as, as you guys have said, you know, the likes of Thierry, Saka, uh, etc. coming back into the side. But I suppose for Saints now, it's about trying to put that Leicester Premier League result behind them and getting back to focus in the league. Yeah, I mean, just, just having Danny Ings in the side just makes a huge difference. We, you know, we look like we might score, whereas in the games when he's missing, we... we you know, we just we just don't look that got the cutting edge of a spoon, haven't we? We don't look we don't look like we're going to score. So, yeah, Arsenal are obviously solid defensively when they put their um when they when they put their proper lineup on the pitch. I mean, on the on the Vokins thing, it'll it'll be interesting because he probably I think Saka tends to play down the right hand side at the moment for Arsenal. So so that that that'll be an interesting test because he's obviously going to want to use his left foot, so he's going to be coming inside a lot of the time. So whether that makes it easier for a fullback you know, making his debut or not. Vokins, he, he always seems to be 10 yards forward, uh, 10 yards further forward than where I expect him to be. So maybe he needs to just rein in the winger instincts a little bit. But I, I agree with Dan. I think I think he comes in and he'll he'll do okay. But yeah, I mean, we, we obviously lost our last league game. So uh, it's important that we get we get something from this game to, uh, you know, to keep the keep the points uh, tighten up. Uh, I, don't, I don't see any reason why we can't, to be honest. I, even with Arsenal's, you know, recent good run and clean sheets. I don't think they've, with the exception of the Chelsea home game, when Chelsea were diabolical, I don't think they've played particularly well. They've beaten Brighton, West Brom and Newcastle and yes. drawn and drawn at home with Crystal Palace. Yeah. So, so it's... That's, that's it, yeah. It's, yeah it's, it's not all that impressive, really. I don't no. think. And with, with Bamiang missing, obviously he's their main striker. Lacazette's a handful. And he'll obviously play. And the player will have to watch his uh, party, party or party, how you pronounce it, in midfield. He's um, he, he, he's, he made he's, a different second half. Didn't yeah, he, he did. Came on. Yeah, and he'll obviously go. He'll obviously go from the start. But uh, hopefully, David Luiz will be playing. Hopefully, Cedric <laughs> will be playing. Who knows? <laughs> we'll see. No, I, I, I fancy to get something. I do. Right. Let's get on to some predictions for that game. Then it feels like ages since we've done Premier League predictions. But uh, Dan, what do you reckon for Saints versus Arsenal? I'll go 2-1 Southampton. 2-1 Southampton. Uh, Steve, what do you reckon? Um, I think it's going to be another cagey one. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think 0-0. 0-0, nil, nil. Nil, nil, right. Okay. Glenn, any bet on that? Yeah, it's nice to win 1-0. 1-0. One, nil. One, nil. Great. All right, I'm feeling confident as well, so obviously I'm going to go for Arsenal to win 1-0. is the Total Saints podcast, proudly underpinned by our TSP patrons. Okay, to finish this week's pod, a chat about Asante Gotago and Danny Ings' contract situation. But before that, 
After 30 years apart, Hummel were confirmed as the club's new kit manufacturer, effective July the 1st, 2021. With their famous chevrons and bumblebee trademark, the Danish brand, for those of us that are old enough to remember, so not Dan Sheldon, for example, were previously providing Saints with our kit designs between 1987 and 1991. Glenn, my first ever Saints kit was a Hummel chevron-infused 1989 home strip, so it certainly brought a tear to my eye when the uh, announcement was made. Uh, An element of nostalgia to uh, all of it for some of us. Yes, yes, indeed. I'm not big on kits, as you as you know, because um, it'll be red and white, and it won't fit me properly. <laughs> so that, that's that's all you need to know, really. But it's um, you surely know, you will be big on this kit, absolutely. on every kit, in fact. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I won't look like Graziano Pella, put it that way. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, I mean Hummel, Hummel are a good name. They they have a, have a a good name for producing kits that people like. And that's that's more and more important these days with the with the commercial um, aspects of uh, replica shirt sales and whatnot. It would just be nice if it's not a shambles, as we've touched on before. Under Armour's for for one reason or another, it's it's been a shambles all over the place, hasn't it? They're a very established name. Obviously, we're talking 1989, 1988. Those um those kits they produce for us. So uh, yeah, it can it can only be a good thing. I think uh, I think people have had their their fill of Under Armour, to be honest. So uh, yeah, Hummel, let's go for it, and uh, and then then we'll have massive complaints when the uh, when when it all gets uh, released at the start of next season. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know as you say, some folk uh, aren't that fussed about kits, but yeah, obviously it's been a, a bit of a mixed reaction to Under Armour and their gear over the past few years. So maybe a change will be uh, a positive thing for all parties, including them. And uh, you know, should make it clear. I think Dan wrote this in his uh, piece in the athletic that obviously uh, Under Armour has sort of done a bit of a shift in marketing strategy so I think there's sort of a, a mutual agreement here but uh, Steve from Kits to the club's international football partnership program Asante Kotago a Ghanaian Premier League side have joined the Saints portfolio which will see us support a number of areas with them including sharing coaching experience academy staff exchanges between the UK and Ghana UK development camps commercial and operational strategies etc etc um so good to see and i suppose to welcome the porcupine warriors as i understand they're uh, uh, nicknamed into the fold yeah I mean, it's, it's it was an interesting development wasn't it i think in terms of sort of immediate club development and looking at the sort of scouting picture i think people were probably expecting the club to look um, sort of slightly closer to the home and um, in particular within the EU for sort of work permit qualification and, and things like that. But I think with this particular deal, I think the club is looking at fan base. Something you, you mentioned off air uh, before we started recording was their, their club's following, which was was it like 12 million followers or something, yeah, something insane? Like that. So yeah, I saw um, Ozzy and Shine, who I know listens to the, the pod, so hope you're well, Ozzy and uh, Ozian works for Reuters, he's a global sports editor, and yeah, he'd put up a, a tweet about the an interview they'd done with Nana Yort and Ponza, who's the CEO, and pretty much said, yeah, you know, 12 million people around that that follow the club, Steve, yeah? Yeah, I mean, you you put that in, in comparison with the Saints official Twitter, Twitter feed, which has, at the time of writing, 1.3 million followers. Um, so that's, I mean, that, that potential catchment area, if if we've obviously timed it right and they get the messages right and... And there is kind of not just the sharing of all the coaching thing, but then we get we obviously then get benefits ourselves in terms of the exposure. Their fan base gets gets to hear about us. There's I don't know whether there's any sort of kind of incentive for their for their fans to kind of get uh, get on board with us or anything like that. But I mean that's that's a big fan base to to latch onto. And if they if that that suddenly becomes kind of a feeder club, I guess. 
then yeah, I mean, there's there's commercial um, possibilities, and yeah, I mean, you're looking at possible sort of player signings. If I, I don't I don't know what the Ghanaian Premier League is like at the moment in terms of quality, but their national team has always been pretty competitive with sort of one or two standout standout individuals. So if we're if if we're able to kind of get first dibs on on talent. Then yeah, I mean that that could be a that could be a partnership that works out very well for everyone. Indeed, I've got to say I used to love watching Tony Yeboah play in the Premier League in those uh, old days. But uh, yeah, um, founded in 1935 and based in the Ashanti region of Ghana, Asante Kotago have been champions of the Ghanaian Premier League. In case you didn't know, a record 23 times, and also won the Confederation of African Football Champions League twice as well. So pretty decent pedigree. As if that's not enough, they were also named the African Club of the Century by the International Football Federation of History and Statistics, and as a said at the start if you're a porcupine warriors fan based in ghana and listen to this then very nice to have you along with us dan just finally on that bit then it's an interesting point steve mates because I, I suppose that is potentially a, an advantage for saints isn't it? not just growing their profile in africa but given brexit and all the sort of red tape around that a potential scouting network out there could be very uh, positive in the future yep and that that was the first thing i thought of when i saw the statement i have been speaking to to a couple of people and i i got the impression post brexit that southampton are going to try and set up shop in areas where perhaps they they wouldn't have before africa is a massive massive continent there are there are there will be hundreds if not thousands of good young players that just won't have a clue who southampton are now everyone knows southampton's academy but if they haven't got that much exposure in Africa, then they, they may perhaps not. And then you've got North America, South America, where again, Southampton, I think, will be quite keen to explore in the future due to Brexit. They have to look at alternatives as well. And I think it's a good start. If you're going in with the most successful team in in, in Africa, then ultimately they are going to have the best players. They may have the best young players. So it's a it's a partnership that I think can really work for Southampton's favour. They obviously don't have scouting networks there at the moment, but just by being partnered up with this club, as Steve mentioned, the commercial side of it makes sense. But I do think there is definitely an element of exposing themselves to perhaps young players over there as well, and it's a good starting starting block in my opinion for that. Yeah, no, agreed. Well. Uh... The population of uh, Africa in 2019 was 1.3 billion people. So uh, I'm sure there's going to be, as you say, a few talented footballers out there that uh, are be keen to uh, see uh, what future holds for them. But uh, just finally, as you got the mic then, Dan, for this week's pod, um, let's get a brief update on uh, Danny Ingsgate. I suppose we can start calling it that now. There's There's been a lot of noise about his situation the last couple of weeks. I think Ralph certainly got a little fed up of talking about it in pre and post game. Uh, press conferences and you know I suppose over the coming weeks that's probably going to intensify a little bit Um, you wrote an article in The Athletic about it last week and I know I've been following up with uh, sort of reliable sources of course we also heard Martin Simmons talking about it over the weekend aligning to what you wrote pretty much about you know it not being about money and Danny being happy to focus on his football and that sort of thing so are you able to give us a bit of a summary of how you see things at the moment from the people you're speaking to maybe on both sides of the fence I think first things first I think it's been an intense week it seems like everything has kind of been going on in the background. Then this week, everything just kind of exploded. And Wednesday night, when the the tele or Tuesday night, should I say, that the Daily Telegraph story dropped by by Sam Wallace, and then all of a sudden it was, well, here we go, everyone. This is this this is what's going on. So I'd actually decided to write about Danny Ings and the contract situation before that Telegraph 
piece came out as I think I messaged you in the day at that day yep. I bet you sort did. of saying oh I'm going to be doing something on it and what prompted that was Ralph was asked about it I can't remember when uh, every week but there was a particular time where I just felt what he said got completely taken out of context in terms of Danny wanted x amount of money and the club can't afford x amount of money I thought when I read that piece I thought well that's so that just isn't true and me and my editor we speak every day and he's like when are we going to do the Danny Ings piece when are we going to do it and I just keep on thinking well now isn't the right time let's just give it another 10 days two weeks and then I I put a note in my in one of the channels we use or at the athletic and and just thought no I think now is the time to to do this because this is just so inaccurate I thought it made Danny Ings look money grabbing and I thought it made the club look weak from a, a negotiating point of view not that that ultimately bothers me but I just knew it wasn't the truth so we decided to do this piece everything was gonna you know we'd done a lot of research that piece wasn't two hours in the making that piece has been conversations I've been having with all sorts of people over the last three to four months basically so where are we at at the moment probably everyone I imagine is having a bit of a cooling off period because of how this week has gone but it's still something that needs sorting out you can't hide you can't hide from that Southampton will know that and Danny Ingscamp will know that uh, the club are obviously pushing the fact that he's got 18 months on it left on his contract here be here for the 18 months and I suppose if you're Danny you want your your future sorted out perhaps sooner so it's it's still a very delicate situation in my opinion other people may think differently it's a case of it's all in the open now Danny's ambitious I don't think anyone should have a problem with that I really don't. And it's so keen to stress that this isn't about money. And another key thing that I want to make, the point I make and I make it in the piece on The Athletic, is that Danny doesn't get involved in these conversations. So because of that, his relationship with Ralph is really good. Danny's been with his his agency or whatever it is for a number of years now. He, they, he trusts them completely to do the, the right thing for him. Um, he just focuses on the football, doesn't get involved in any kind of the 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 discussions in this sense so where are we at we're at Southampton have an offer on the table they're making the highest paid player of the club and Danny Ings hasn't signed that he wants to obviously keep his options open and if you are Danny why would you sign it at the moment when you don't know what may happen in uh, uh, well this month is probably gone now but you never knew if all of a sudden Man United had a swathe of injuries in attack would they come in for someone like Ings? Maybe they would. They could certainly afford to. Um, they could afford to make him a stopgap stop player. Absolutely. So it's just kind of a, not a waiting game now, but it's almost, it just comes down to whether he signs it or whether he doesn't sign it. That is ultimately it. I don't think the club can really do any more. I don't think they're going to go down a route of trying to overextend themselves and they're not going to be all of a sudden, well, we'll give you 150 grand a week. Just sign it, just sign it. That's not how they work. I think it, the fact that Fraser Forster has been their highest paid player for God knows since whenever he signed that, that big contract, that probably tells you that their structure just doesn't allow them to to hand out silly money uh, all the time. So it's something that needs sorting out, whether it gets sorted out in the next few weeks or whether it's something that we wait until the summer. I guess that's something realistically only Danny and his side are, are going to know. That I think there's so many different conversations you can have on whether you think a big club will come in for him. Whether you think Saints should let him leave it in the, at the end of 18 months if he doesn't sign or try and sell him in the summer, they're all different conversations. But ultimately, where we're at is there's a contract on the table. Danny hasn't signed it. And now it's just a case of not maybe who blinks first, but 
that's almost almost where we're at I think it's it I mean like I said you could go into this in so many different angles and explore so many different ways but I'd be talking for the next 20 minutes half an hour and really I don't want that you don't want that and the listeners certainly don't want that yeah and just just very very briefly Dan I I think one final thing I just wanted to sort of ask you from a journalistic point of view um someone asked Ralph the other day uh, whether the club had put a deadline in place, I think was the sort of words they used with uh, the Ings camp and that sort of thing. Um, the longer it goes on, and you know, it's quite clear from what Martin Simmons has said that you know everyone's happy. Dan's, you know, we saw that yesterday. You know, Danny Ings given 100%, etc., etc. Bearing in mind, you've still got circa 18 months or so to go. Do you think the longer that it goes on, starts to give more power to him and his camp, so to speak, or do you think, you know, bearing in mind everything that's happened with the pandemic and security around contracts, and you want to know that your future's comfortable and all that sort of thing, maybe more power to the the club, or do you do you not think that that's really relevant either of those? Up until all of this kind of came out, I always I always felt the power was with Danny Ings. I I just thought he's the He's the prized asset. He's the guy that's going to score you 20, 25 goals a season. You do all you can to keep him. Since it all came out that his ambitions are to play for a Champions League club, I do think it, it does strengthen Southampton's hand in one sense because, and it's a piece, it's a, an area I kind of explore in, in the article online. It's what happens if you get to the summer, Danny hasn't signed a contract, but no big clubs come in for him. If you're Southampton, do you then turn around to Danny and say, look, Danny, we've offered you this deal, but... And you didn't want to sign it because you thought all these clubs are going to go into it, uh, come in for you. That's not happened. Here are new terms. And so I think I think because of everything that's happened, I do think the club have got some sort of power back. Not, Of course, they had power in the negotiations because they're the, they're the other party. But I just think because Danny is the prized possession, he, of course, has all the kind of power in that. If he signs, if he doesn't sign, it's on him. Southampton can only do so much in terms of offering the deal but because it's so out there now that he doesn't want he's basically looking at trying to get himself maybe a move to a Champions League club or whatever I mean that's what that Telegraph story told me that was a come and get me plea basically in my opinion Um, that's not from conversations I've had with people that's just my thought on it it does it it leaves him in an awkward position now if none of those clubs come in because what happens then He's kind of made it clear that does he want to be at Southampton because he's not signed the contract. And if you're Southampton, if you get to March, April and he's still not signed that contract and you're now thinking, right, OK, a big club may come in for him. At that point, Southampton have to start planning for life after Danny. So do they then look to bring in who they would think would be Danny's replacement? And then what happens if Danny doesn't get get sold? It's a really kind of delicate, delicate thing at the moment. I think there are so many different things to consider. The um, the comment about him wanting to play for a Champions League club, where did that come from? Did I think that it was just come in the from? article, wasn't it? More of a, it wasn't less of a quote and more of a statement, wasn't it? Because let's face it, it's not it's not beyond the uh, the wit of journalists to try and stir something up, is it? Um, I, you know, I just if if that was a quote from his agent or from Danny himself or from anyone at Saints, then I'd be more inclined to believe it. But I I don't really know where that where that came from I mean, what which, is, which Champions League club is he going to play for yeah and what is a Champions League club are Arsenal a Champions League club are Leicester a Champions League club they may well be next year you know it, it's it's um, it, it seems a, a, a strange a strange sort of statement so I mean I've no doubt that it, it all comes down to would, would Saints stand in his way if 
you know, a suitable club came in for him. And I think history has shown that Saints don't stand in players' way. And that's one of the things that Martin Simmons said in his interview with um, with Adam Blackmore the other day, is, is that if one of the really big boys comes in for one of your players, then I think, as was proved with the Virgil van Dijk situation, that there's not a lot of point in standing in their way because you end up with a sulky player and you end up selling the player anyway. So, you know, you, you may as well be uh, be decent about it. So I think it will wait till the summer. There, there's a lot of factors that could influence it with the um, with the Euros. I mean, personally, at the moment, I think you'll probably miss out on the squad simply because of where all the other strikers play their football. <laughs> so ironically, so, we're, you know, we're talking about the, the club you you, you know the stature of the club you're playing for mattering you know I think someone like Mason Greenwood even though you know he plays for Manchester United that's going to be to me that that's more likely to get him in the England squad than Danny scoring 15 or 20 goals this season that's just the way I feel about the way England select England selection works so there's there's a lots of lots of variables and the, and the summer will be crucial Saints will know where they stand in the summer hopefully with regards to fans back in the ground and you know how much money they can budget and all that sort of stuff so uh, to be honest, I, I can see this rumbling on to the summer, which is why I kind of groan every time I see it in the newspapers, because I know it's going to be um, it's going to be mentioned virtually every week um, and, and until he either signs it or we get to the summer. Well, from art- from article to article, the situation has basically not changed yeah. for the last, what, three months. I think everybody everybody kind of knows where they stand in in the situation. But ultimately, the, this situation boils down to, seemingly boils down to whether we're going to accept some sort of release clause for a Champions League club, perhaps, or if there's immediate interest from a from a potential Champions League club. And if there is, I mean, as I, as I said just now, who? Because I don't really see where he fits for a lot of these for a lot of these clubs there will be interest because they'll they'll see you know he's a very good player obviously so there will be interest but there won't be interest in paying 40 50 million quid it'll be daniel levy and tottenham trying to do his usual and get get a player for a set of a set of track suits and a couple of footballs like he Mm. always tries to do so i think there, there will inevitably be interest and there probably will be interest from those clubs but they won't be interested in paying 40 50 million which is which is where I think the problem is. I think, you know, Saints will, will be wanting to get some decent money for their best player. But um, with the with the contract situation being the way it is, with him only having a year left in the summer, I think that's, if I had to put money on it, I think that is where the problem is. You're listening to the Total Saints podcast, going to the heart of all things Saints FC. That's the end of the pod for this week. Hope you've enjoyed it, so thanks for checking us out. We'll be back next weekend post-Aston Villa and pre-Manchester United. We look forward to catching up with you TSP patrons on Thursday evening, 8pm UK time. Until then, as they say in Denmark for any Hummel fans, Fortshed med et Marsha Ind, and in Ghana, thankfully due to English being the official language there, keep marching in.
The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.